everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Juliette Beauchamp, and I'm here with Computer World Contributing Editor, J.R. Raphael, as well as Computer World Managing Editor for Features, Val Potter. We are live on LinkedIn, on the Computer World LinkedIn page, as well as on YouTube, on the IDG Tech Talk YouTube channel. So if you have any questions or comments while we are discussing, please do let us know, and we'll do our very best to answer them while we are actually live. So thank you both so much for joining me today. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Android 12 and the new Pixel and kind of what it means for business users. So Android 12 and the Pixel 6 launched, they're being released for what, a couple of weeks now, right? So yeah, just a couple of weeks. And they're, they're still pretty hard to find, a little hard to get, as <laughs> is often the case, especially this year with, uh, yes, with orders yes. and supply and all that. So interestingly, or interestingly, though, perhaps not surprisingly, I guess, um, uh, there's some Android 12 features that are really catered specifically to um, Pixel users. And that, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. You know, Google is making the Android. Google is uh, is making Android, <laughs> making the Pixel, making um Android software. So it certainly makes a little bit of sense that some features would be specifically catered to Pixel users. Um, and I'm kind of curious, even though I know we were talking a little bit, um, JR, before we went live about um, when other Android phones are going to be able to get some of these features. Um, but what are some of these features that are Pixel specific? And how is the Android 12 experience really? How do you, why and how? Is it really specific to Pixel phones? Did you follow well, it's an that? Interesting point. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. It's an interesting point, and it's something I wrote a column when we were kind of back in the development phase of Android 12, referring to it as the beginning of what seemed to me like the Android Pixel era, because it really does feel, we've seen little bits and pieces, but for the first time, like Google is wholeheartedly embracing this idea of the Pixel Android experience and then the version of Android that everyone else gets. Sure. There's always kind of been a thing where the interface has been different for Pixel phones, but it's been sort of like, okay, Samsung and and, and past years, LG, whoever else is doing their own thing and putting their own stamp on it. And, and that's what it is. And Google's kind of just dealt with it. Now it feels like Google's leaning into it and embracing it. And as I'm saying, Google, all these pixels near me are activating because they think I'm trying to <laughs> talk to Google Assistant. So we'll see what they say in response. <laughs> you gotta love that. But yeah, so really with Android 12 is the biggest visual update to how Android looks, works, feels the interface since going back to like Android 5.0 Lollipop, which I, I want to say it was like 2014 off the top of my head, I think somewhere around there. Uh, first, like really sweeping redesign since then. So it's a whole new visual language, a whole new look feel, big changes to the interface. And that's something again, where those changes generally don't make their way to every other device that isn't made by Google because companies like Samsung like to put their own visual stamp on it. And what's especially interesting this go round is that it's the start of a whole new, almost ecosystem-wide device uh, design language rather that Google's come up with called Material U. So right now we're seeing it on Android. It's also appearing within Google's own Android apps on the phone, soon to be beyond Google's apps. Other developers are, are beginning slowly but surely to tap into it. Uh, and eventually it'll make its way to Google web apps, to Chromebooks, to smart displays, all sorts of assistant connected gadgets and devices. So the Pixel phones are really going to feel like part of that consistent, cohesive ecosystem in a way that other devices probably aren't, at least not to that same level, which is a pretty interesting shift. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit um, more about, and 
just a reminder to any of our viewers, I'm, I'm hoping to hear uh, any questions from anyone who's watching on LinkedIn or YouTube. So please do let us know in um, the LinkedIn comments or on the YouTube live chat. But I want to touch a little bit more on some of these pixel specific features. And I know you've had um, a bunch of different articles up on Computer World about some of these features. So I will link to them if any of the viewers are interested in reading more. But so is the main change or perhaps the most obvious change to Pixel users just the way that Android 12 looks and feels? I'd say probably the most obvious outward facing one, which is a, a pretty big change from the past, well, several updates really, where after every Android update, people say, what's new here? What's different? Because there sure. have been a lot of new touches, but they've mostly been either features under the hood. And of course, it's easier to, to immediately see and latch onto the surface level visuals, which is very much the case here. And it almost doesn't even do it justice to call it an interface change, because it's not really just a, a coat of paint. The way Material U works is that whatever you set as your home screen wallpaper, the background of your home screen, the rest of your entire phone matches to complement that. So everything from the icons on your home screen to the color of the search bar to the color of the background and, and highlights in your settings and quick settings. And then again, going into like you open up Gmail and it matches that and you open up Google Messages or Google Photos or Google Drive or whatever. And that same color scheme is carrying through the entire interface in a way that really feels bigger than it sounds when you experience it, when you experience it for yourself, because you change the wallpaper and, and just like that in a second, your whole phone matches it. And again, eventually that's going to stretch through to, from what Google has said, your same color profiles and everything in Google apps on your computer, in the interface of a Chromebook, in the interface of a smart display. So it's pretty substantial. Now under the hood, there are a lot of other important things, but they're not the kind of things that you necessarily see and notice right away, even if they are, you know, arguably probably more beneficial for you in the long run. But yeah, the interface stuff is pretty big. So, I mean, you really left off at a great point. What are some of these under the hood features that are new in both Android 12 and then also with the Pixel 6? And we talk, we've talked a little bit about this um, on our channel before about how this is the first phone with Google's new Tensor chip. So it's its, its own chip, very big deal. Um, so what are some of those under the hood changes that are that may be better, as you said, for people in the long run. Yeah, uh, I mean, the privacy is the biggest one. And it's, the most of the tensor specific stuff is more kind of like AI and, and processing some camera stuff. Mm -hmm. So we can think about that too, but the privacy is the biggest one. So I've got pulled up and I'll try to show it here. This is the new, yes. <laughs> uh, maybe not so much. You can kind of, there it goes. Privacy dashboard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the new Android 12 privacy dashboard. And this is something that's coming to older phones as well. It's not just the Pixel 6. The uh, Pixel 3 and up already have it. And you know, as other non-Pixel devices get through, they will too. So it's a new just kind of centralized place to manage privacy stuff that despite all the privacy-related controls that have been there, Android has actually never had. So if you look at this, you can see location on mine showing in the last 24 hours, location used by 10 apps, camera used by one, microphone used by one, and then you can dive into other permissions from there. And it's just a really easy way to get nuanced and see exactly what is using what permission, which again, you could always do, but you kind of had to dig around and now it's all consolidated to a single place. It's a lot more user-friendly and easy to manage. Uh, there are a couple other privacy little things in there. Uh, there. There are now indicators on the top 
corner of the screen, which is 100% something lifted from iOS. You gotta acknowledge it when it happens. So when your microphone or camera is in use, even in the background, you see a little dot in the corner of your screen, a little icon letting you know, mm-hmm. good protection, obviously. Uh, and then there, under the hood, things that you would never notice, but are good to be, there's some more nuanced and narrowed down systems for how apps can access location data and how that's controlled. Uh, there's a new automated hibernation system that disables apps entirely and prevents them from launching background prep processes or getting to any of your data. If you haven't interacted with them in a few months, even if say six months ago, you authorized them to do X, Y, and Z, your phone will say, hey, you haven't used this in two months or whatever. We're going to pull these back unless you don't want us to. So little smart bits of protection. Specific to the new Pixel phones, there's something Google's calling a private compute core, which is one of those just great tech company brandings. It sounds just <laughs> like super futuristic and impressive, uh, but it actually does sound like a, a fairly useful thing. Uh, funny branding aside, it's a new system level partition built into Android and made for these phones that'll let certain types of computing happen in a completely isolated local environment. So for example, what are some of the things? AI processing, uh, the Pixel live caption system where it can listen and show live captioning for any audio coming from your phone, uh, Google smart reply suggestions. Those don't go over any network connection. They all happen locally on your device in a completely separate area from anything else. So there's no way they could interact with your data, leave your device, anything like that, which is a pretty good reassurance, especially for people who are using phones from a professional and, and even more so enterprise perspective where, where that kind of thing is really paramount. Well, that was a wonderful overview. Thank you so much, Jer, and a wonderful segue. And so, Val, I'd like to go to you a little bit and talk about some of these enterprise or professional users um, of, I guess, Android phones in general, or also just smartphones in general. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about sort of the enterprise angle here. So what are... I would imagine that some of these new privacy features, like you mentioned, JR, are really would be appealing to... um, would be appealing to any enterprise user and um, any IT team that's saying, okay, we got to, we, we have to give our people phones, something that's secure, something that is, has better privacy, certainly seems appealing. What's, what's the takeaway for you um, about with these new phones, Val? Yeah. I mean, um, that is, you know, as we know, um, the iPhone has traditionally had the edge when it comes to enterprise deployment um, of phones. You know, they, they got into the mobile device management game early um, and they've kind of always hammered the like, oh, yes, we're better for the enterprise. We're, we've always been about privacy. We've always been, whether that's true or not, that's that's the, the game they've always talked. And, um, and you know, and, as JR was pointing out, some of these features do kind of like leapfrog each other you know one one platform will get one great privacy feature and then the other one will adopt it and and so on so it's you know it's been a a little hard to say always who's who's better uh on that front but um but in general apple has certainly been better on the messaging front when it comes to privacy and and uh, bringing things front and center um although you know i have to say that new uh, privacy dashboard that's the most user-friendly implementation of that that I've seen, and I wish I had that on my iPhone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can find that information um, on the iPhone, but it takes a little bit more digging around in settings. It's not just this nice dashboard. So that is a plus, and I expect to see that in the next um, iOS iteration. So <laughs> we, will, uh, we will see that. But but just in terms of, of um, deployment in the enterprise, um, you know, uh, there a number of factors have always contributed to to um, 
iOS sort of being perceived as better. And like I said, they kind of got out in front um, early on the management side of things um, for IT, but also there's the, the fragmentation issue of, um, you know, um, different uh, Android manufacturers being able to put different skins and screens and, and just tweak the, the OS. It just is, it's been more of an issue for um, IT to have to deal with. Um, but that's actually changed a lot too with, um, with the, the uh, Android enterprise recommended uh, program that that Google has so that um, uh, certain phones, you know, have to have to hit certain checkboxes, or at least you can see ahead of time what what they're going to be. Um, and therefore, uh, IT can kind of make an educated guess about, well, should we should we actually deploy this this particular phone to our users or not? And um, if it has that stamp of enterprise uh, recommended on it, that's a good sign. Uh, that it's going to be a lot easier to manage and um, and then whoops sorry I just did something I don't know what I meant to do um, you're still here that's okay <laughs> okay good. good yeah I hit the wrong button on my screen um, I'm trying to flip between things but um, anyway and uh, deployment has also been a lot more simplified with that enterprise uh, Android enterprise recommended program um, and um, but one thing that uh, where they I think that Apple probably still has an advantage, and JR, you can speak to this, is over um, uh, which version that, uh, of Android that uh, customers are on. For instance, I mean, you were saying that right now, the only people who have Android 12, that has been out for two weeks, uh, the only people are Pixel users, and it's not necessarily just Pixel 6, people who bought a brand new phone, mm -hmm. but people who have, you know, a Pixel phone from a few years ago now have access to the the latest and greatest and most private uh, OS that there is, but um, when are Samsung users going to get that? It's a good question, and and as is usual with Samsung and other third-party device makers, we don't have a firm answer. They years and years ago in the beginning, they used to all provide estimates. They would say, "Okay, we're going to we're going to send Android whatever version to this phone, this phone, this phone, and we expect to have it done by this month." and certain writers who may be on this program used to hold them accountable <laughs> for that and do grade cards that are still done. And suffice it to say, most of them did not meet those deadlines or even come close. So sure enough, the solution was not, hey, let's meet our deadlines, but hey, let's stop publicly saying deadlines. So this way no one can say we met it or not. Maybe unrelated, two separate facts, but they did happen around the same time. So yeah, I mean, we don't know. Device makers have gotten a little better over time. There's a lot of PR work trying to massage that narrative. When you really look at it based on data, it, it kind of went just way downhill, like a really bad line on the graph, a, a decline for years and years. Then it kind of went back up a little bit. And that's when Google and other companies started really pushing the narrative that things are getting a lot better when they were getting better, but they were basically just going back to like almost the level they were at five years earlier, which was still a pretty bad level. So, you know, it's not great. And what I always tell people, whether it's from a usage perspective, a privacy perspective, just being up to date and most secure, whatever way you want to look at it, there are really multiple Android experiences. And it just takes a different mindset uh, compared to what you're used to talking about or thinking about with iOS. Because on iOS, yeah, you buy the iPhone, whatever number, and you're basically getting the same experience. I mean, Apple does withhold certain features and elements, but you know, you're getting the core software that's the same. Whereas you pick up a Samsung Android phone and a Pixel Android phone, 
they're wildly, I mean, you wouldn't even know they're the same operating system in a lot of ways. They're, they're elements, but they look completely different. They act different. There are a lot of different pros and cons to each. And so it, it really is a different assessment as to if you can't just say, is Android right for my company? It's really is this version of Android, what Google's doing with Android right for my company is what Samsung's doing right for my company. And I think they're very different considerations because they're wildly different experiences with wildly different levels of, of support and you know variables involved. Yeah, and um, just uh, is there any sort of rhyme or reason to uh, which of the features that come out in each OS um, make make their way into the you know the different manufacturers versions of of android so you know will the material you will that design be present in other manufacturers phones or do we we just don't know at this point or or uh, what about the, and and security and privacy features uh are those required i mean is that something that the other manufacturers can sidestep as well or or is there some kind of baseline where they have to at least bring that to their to their users there is a very technical document that google has i don't know if it's technically public or not but it always there's always a version of it you can find that gets out i, I think it's published somewhere maybe to partners but it always leaks you can find it that kind of lists baseline requirements it's not something that's really openly talked about uh but i mean the short version is right now samsung is has its version of Android 12 out in a in a beta, a public beta. So we can get an idea of at least what direction it's going, how it's shaping up, how it looks like it's coming together. And it seems like most of the core features, the privacy stuff, the security stuff, that should all go through. And I, I would imagine that that's part of what Google requires. I don't know for a fact, I haven't combed through all the you know fine print in that. Uh, but in terms of the outward, design, it would be very surprising if every company adopted it. From what I've seen, Samsung is kind of taking bits and pieces, kind of merging it into its own language. I mean, with Samsung in particular, it's always been really keen on enforcing its own ecosystem, not the Android ecosystem. You know, from a business perspective, it wants you to buy Samsung stuff. It wants you to only buy Samsung devices, to use Samsung computers, to use Samsung smartwatches. And so it really tries to have a, a cohesive language, but only within its little subset of the Android ecosystem, not the greater Android ecosystem. And then Samsung also does a lot of other things, which other device makers do too, in terms of not only subtracting, but adding. So uh, one thing I've written about a lot over the years is the kind of troubling way that Samsung tends to put in a lot of advertisements, data selling mechanisms. There's a story, a whole column I wrote about that from like a year or so ago, where when you actually look through all the terms of service on a Samsung Galaxy Android phone, there's some pretty eye-opening stuff about things built into native apps where your data, if you don't explicitly go out of your way to find and opt out of all these things, is potentially being sold in, in, in some kind of troubling ways, even as a person, but particularly as a, as a professional and at an enterprise level. So it, it is a different experience and, and you really don't know unless you take the time and put in a lot of energy to, to getting yourself up to speed. It's not the kind of thing that's listed out on a you know comparison sheet on the outside of the box or anything like that by any means. Mm -hmm. Well, while we're talking about physical devices themselves, and I mean, certainly also we were talking about the user experience of them, but a little bit about physical devices. We have a few just mumblings um, on over on LinkedIn. I see some people saying, they should I go for the ePixel 6 Pro? What should I get? This phone or the, or the, or the 6 Pixel 6 Pro? So uh, what is, so Google came out with these two versions and 
have they come out with a pro pro in quotes level phone before or was it usually just like the the let's say the standard and then i know they had like the 5g version and then they also came out with like the you know 4a 5a version have they had a pro version not in branding no so in okay. past years the pixel 5 was kind of a weird one where it was just the pixel 5 any of that was in the midst of the pandemic so everything was a little topsy-turvy sure but prior to that there had been a regular and an xl and the idea was that they were mostly oh, okay. the same okay. except in size except on and at a pre-briefing yeah um at a pre-briefing for press ahead of this year's unveiling one of the Pixel team people actually made a point of saying, in the past, we differentiated by size. We're moving away from that. Now the branding and you know the points of differentiation are more about the market we feel each phone is appropriate for, and or sure. at least in terms of how they're presenting it and branding. Sure, 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 sure. So Google came out with the Pixel 6, came out with the Pixel 6 Pro. What makes the Pixel 6 Pro so pro? Is it so pro? That is a question. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've, I've had the opportunity to use and live with both. I've got them both here. So let's see. This is the regular Pixel 6 in its sort of seafoam color. It's kind of an off green. And then the Pixel 6 Pro, I forget what they called it, basically black, but it's got some cute names. Stormy Black, maybe something like that. Yeah, that's cute. They're pretty similar. I mean, the Pixel 6 Pro is a little hard to tell from here. The Pixel 6 Pro is a little larger. Uh, the big difference is really... Well, there are a few. The Pixel 6 does have a larger screen. You'll see it's uh, the regular Pixel 6 is 6.4 inches. The Pixel 6 Pro is 6.7. It has a higher refresh rate. Uh, it's a little larger, a little wider. And then there's some under the hood differences. The Pixel 6 Pro has 12 gigs of RAM versus eight on the regular Pixel 6. Some ca camera differences. The Pixel 6 Pro has a, a, a zoom lens, a se separate lens for zooming in. And then uh, some differences in storage, battery. But the thing is, most of those are not things you're actually gonna notice. The, the, the RAM, the memory, the screen, you're not gonna see any of that, even in terms of the battery. When I asked Google explicitly about what kind of practical differences people might notice from the uh, extra memory, they said it's mostly there to power the larger, more pixel-dense screen and the larger phone. Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of there for a purpose, but it's not stuff you're really gonna notice. And even the display, to my eyes, there's not much of any really discernible difference. The Pixel 6 Pro also has some interesting little quirks to it, as I what I'd say. It, it has this curved over screen on the front. Uh, it's a little hard to see here. If I hold it at this angle, you can kind of see. Something that Samsung actually used to do in the past, where instead of just being flat, it curves over, which I find actually makes it a little awkward and uncomfortable, both visually, because sometimes elements of the screen will, will slope over a little bit. It makes it a little awkward to look at. And I find it's kind of nice to go back to a flat screen after that. And then it just also makes for a much sharper, smaller perimeter. Uh, and, and the Pixel 6 Pro also has the glossy perimeter versus a matte on the regular Pixel 6. So it adds up to a phone that's a lot harder to hold on to uh, and, and a lot more uncomfortable in your hand over a period of time. So what I've been telling people is that if you really care about having that telephoto zoom lens consider the pixel 6 pro because it, it is really good and you notice a difference and i posted some some before and after pictures online uh you know if you need to zoom into things from afar you will get better results mm -hmm. from that no doubt other than that the cameras are pretty much the same and the rest of the differences are not really significant and if anything kind of lean more in the favor of the pixel 6 in my assessment and especially when you look at the prices, I think for most people, you're going to get a better all-around experience and a better value out of the regular Pixel 6. Again, unless that telephoto zoom is really important to you and outweighs everything else. But yeah, in terms of pro, there's not really anything that makes it more pro. It's just 
a very clever and effective branding strategy to call it that basically. So in this case, the pro is really more, you know, like a photography professional or a design, somebody who might need all that RAM or that, you know, the, the CPU power, the GPU power, the not, not the, or whatever the smartphone version of that is, um, that rather than like a business professional, your standard business pro. I would say so. And even on the, the, the RAM, I, it's, it's not really anything, you, whatever you're running, you're not going to notice any real difference. The one thing Google said to me is that, and, and they phrased it very delicately, like that maybe you would see a little bit of difference, maybe in keeping apps in active memory, that you know, if you have a bunch of stuff open and you're flipping between them, that something you had open 20 minutes ago could still be in active memory with the extra RAM. I haven't noticed any discernible difference. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, the only real difference is that telephoto lens. Uh, aside from the other surface level things like the slanted screen and, and you know, just the body difference in size and all that. Sure. And I mean, while we're on the topic of pro, I think we can talk about productivity. Um, and I know and I don't know which of you feel free either of you to answer, but I know that there's some pr productivity features that may be especially of interest to professionals or enterprise users in general. Um, I don't know if which if either both of you want to talk a little bit about some of those. JR? Sure, sure. I can jump in. <laughs> uh, so a, a lot of it is stuff that that is kind of built into Android 12 and so is coming down already to phones going back all the way to the Pixel 3. Sure, okay. Was the oldest one to get that. Uh, but because of it's, uh, I think, Juliet, you mentioned kind of in passing that these are the first with, maybe it was Val who mentioned it, maybe you both mentioned it, but we've been talking a little bit about the, the first Google-made processor being inside, yep. what they're calling the Tensor chip. So that makes some differences and allows certain things on the, the, the Pixel 6 and what are saying Pixel 6, we mean both phones, of course, Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro that can't make their way down to the older phones. So one example is uh, a, a new and improved voice typing system Android's always actually been pretty good with that. It, it had voice typing way back in the very, very early days before that was even a thing. And it just wasn't really a big feature that people talked about. But now it's completely powered by Google Assistant. It's not tied to any one app. It's not tied to your keyboard. Uh, Google Assistant does it. It has local processing, again, connected to that Google-made chip, the processor inside the phone. And so what that does is make for a little bit of a faster smoother, more accurate experience. It's not something that's going to blow you away where you say, oh, wow, this is, this is night and day different from my old phone. But you do notice it, it picks up a little faster. It tends to be a little more accurate. And you can activate it from anywhere completely hands-free. So it opens up some interesting possibilities. So let's say, for instance, you're driving or maybe you're, you're a passenger in a car, so you can be looking at your phone a little bit, but you don't want to sit there you know, and be tapping out things. Whereas you could always start a message, then hit the voice type icon and, and start dictating that way. Now you can just summon your Google Assistant, which I won't say the phrase because it'll activate all of my phones and anyone <laughs> else who's listening who has devices. But you say the H-E-Y Google phrase, and uh, then you can just say, what is it? I think it's, it's start typing, voice typing. I think it's start typing. Yeah. And then you can just get right into it. So you don't even have to be anywhere. You can just tell it what to do. You can tell it to go to an app, start typing, send a message, respond. You can tell it to send. Things that used to take a little bit of manual interaction can now all happen exclusively via voice control, which is pretty cool. And one of those things, again, where it seems like that was a big part of what Google was trying to accomplish, uh, at least in part with putting its own chip in the phone. And the other part, tying back to what we talked about before, is the security thing, where, where this these two phones are getting 
better support in terms of ongoing uh, updates and software updates than anything we've seen on Android before. And so from a, a both productivity and safety, security, privacy perspective for, for businesses, especially, I mean, that's pretty huge and sets them apart in a pretty meaningful way. Yeah, that is, that was great. So thank you so much. And just a reminder to anyone watching any of these um, articles that we've referenced, I've been linking them in the live chat, but if you are watching this after the fact, I they will all be in the description as well. Jerry, you have a bunch of great articles about both Android 12 and the new Pixel Slick 6 and Pixel 6 Pro phones. So if you need to learn more, they will be there. So as we are wrapping up here, I guess... I just wanted to conclude with talking a little bit about, and we've kind of been, I guess, perhaps hinting towards this theme in general, but talking about the, um, what this sort of, I mean, I don't know if it really feels like a new era of Android, but what these new steps that Google has made with both security and privacy, and then it has its new chip, and then some of the uh, pixel-specific Android features kind of means for, like, let's say the Android phone landscape at large and what it means for any certainly enterprise users or also just casual you know consumer users consumers of um android phones when they're deciding what to use i think it's a really interesting question and that that ties back into sort of what i was just saying a second ago especially when it comes to the updates. So specifically, uh, the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro are, are guaranteed to get three years of timely and reliable operating system updates, alongside five years of monthly security patches. And for context, uh, no other Android phone is, is even close to that. Most of them are getting two years, at best, two years of operating system updates, and then either two or three years uh, of security patches on top of that. So it really changes the value equation where you could buy for $600 the Pixel 6, the regular Pixel 6, and know that that will remain completely up to date in every possible way, basically for a full four years, because Android versions now typically come out with one major significant release per year. So after that third year, it'll have gotten that update, then it'll have another fourth year of security patches and another year of security patches after kind of as a buffer. But for four years, certainly, it'll have the latest and greatest of every possible type of software imaginable. And you'll know it'll be as up-to-date, as secure as possible, have the best performance, everything. And, and people tend to, to downplay the, the operating system update side because you say, well, it's getting security patches. That doesn't matter. And it's true. There are a lot of pieces to the puzzle with Android these days. There are the security patches. There are a lot of elements that are updated every month, multiple times a month through the Play Store, things that are treated as part of the operating system on iOS that just makes it very different on Android because they are updated constantly. But it's also true that the OS itself is important. It has a lot of privacy, security, performance things. It controls how apps can interact with your data, usually clamps down a little more on that with every update and makes it more secure. So the fact that you're getting a phone that has a solid four years, arguably a fifth, but four years of 100% being up to date, nothing else out there can compare. And it really changes the value equation, what you have to think about. I think ultimately it's probably going to force other device makers to catch up, kind of the beauty of competition thing. But for the moment, at least, uh, I've always said the pixels were already in another league in terms of the privacy, security, user experience. And this just makes that even more so where it's honestly kind of tough to justify recommending any other device at this point when this one is so far ahead in all these ways that really matter on all those levels we've been talking about. And then on value too, uh, the other companies are gonna have a lot of catching up to do if they wanna remain competitive. Of course, that's assuming that Google can market these effectively and, and make that stuff apparent to people, which 
thus far it has never managed to do, but we'll see. This year it seems intent on uh, actually doing that and putting in, we've seen a lot of signs that they're really marketing, uh, putting in a lot of money into the marketing budget and gonna try hard. So it's a tough message to, to hammer home, especially when people have been committed to one brand for quite a long time now, but uh, that's that's the real challenge at this point is communicating that and getting people to to see what they've done and to understand why it matters. I would think the price point would at least get people to look. I mean, isn't that 600 is much less than you would pay for a flagship phone from most other manufacturers, isn't it? Oh yeah. So, I mean, they're yeah. mostly like a thousand bucks, give or take, like up there close to a thousand and they're getting way less support. So even if you set aside every other factor, that's, that's pretty big. Yeah. We have to see how the uh, supply chain issues uh, affect all this as well. I mean, it's just a, uh, the strange new world we're in where um, even if they get the message right and, and uh, you know, have the have the um, hardware and software coming together to make it all happen, um, can they, what if they can't get all the parts they need or, you know, this is a yeah. interesting, interesting times. And that was an unintentional but perfect opportunity to plug um, a interview I had a few weeks ago with um, Mario Morales. He's an IDC analyst. We talked a little bit about the chip shortage and supply chain issues. So I'll link that in the description as well. So thank you for the unintentional um, plug, but and I appreciate it, Val. So thank you both also so much for calling in and chatting with me. I think this was really, really interesting, and I really appreciate it. So thank you both so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, please do give it a thumbs up. And if you are watching on LinkedIn, you can head over to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can like the video over there, subscribe to our channel, and hit the bell icon so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you are watching after we've been live or you've been watching this whole time and you have a question or a comment that we didn't get to, please do leave them in the comments below and I will do my best to get back to you and answer any questions that you might have. Thanks again for watching. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.